Welcome to the Grow Your Wealth Show, designed to guide you through building and growing your empire. Created for those who want to use real estate to build generational wealth. Join your host, Max Boyko, as he interviews some of the most successful real estate investors on the planet. They will guide you through the different aspects of real estate investing and succeeding in your journey. On the show, Max will be interviewing top real estate insiders. Max is a successful real estate investor who's purchased and sold properties totaling in the hundreds of millions. Now, he's bringing all of his experience to you. Grow Your Wealth Show brings you new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show is brought to you by Optimus Capital, the leader in funding real estate investors nationwide. Let me ask you, would you like to succeed in real estate beyond where you are now? Do you have questions and don't know where to start? Would you like to learn from a veteran investor? then you're in the right place. This podcast is designed for you. Now, here's your host, Max Boyko. Oh, welcome to the Grow Your Wealth Show, using real estate to build generational wealth. This is your host, Max Boyko, and I have with me, Andrew Shanti. How's your day going, Andrew? Doing great, Max. Glad to be here. How you doing today? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, today's podcast, we have a great set of information for you. So we want to really talk about the details and the list of documents that are needed to close a hard money loan, to get private financing, uh, to close fix and flip loans, construction loans. I really wanted to go over the whole spectrum of the different types of loans and what's really what the expectations are in order to close those. So the loan document process is much simpler than you would get at, say, going to a bank because banks are typically going to require tax returns and something that's called global income. So global income is you know, a term they use to look at all of the assets you own, all of the debt that you have. So any loans that you have for any developments, for rental properties, for your primary home, for your rental homes, and they're going to want to see rental income to offset all of your expenses, which for a lot of real estate investors is pretty difficult because you might have some vacant properties, you might be building something, you might be doing some flips. And what's really frustrating for a lot of investors that end up going to a bank is that you know, you're going to have to supply all of that. And you know the process can take 30, 60, 90 days for them to review that, to do all their calculations, to figure it out. And I've really seen some frustration on that end. So this is where we come in with some very aggressive programs that are all based on no tax return loans. And what this really does for you, the value for you to get these types of loans is that you're not going to have to provide your tax returns and you're not going to need to provide all of your lease agreements for every single property that you own. Any other, uh, anything I missed there, Andrew? Yeah. So just to kind of reiterate what Max said the reason why investors use hard money loans is our job as a hard money lender is to actually give you the money. When you're dealing with a bank, banks are operating from the standpoint of how can I not give them the money? It's it's kind of the complete opposite mindset. Banks are going to take a look at your entire job history. They want to see if you've got any job gaps. They're going to they're going to go out of their way to verify absolutely everything where on the hard money side 
it's quick, easy, and fast. And we have lots of exceptions that are made on these loans. So where your conventional bank, if you've ever done a traditional mortgage on your house, you know how stressful it is just to get any loan. Even if it's a small loan, they drag you through the mud. They go through all of your bank statements. They ask for positive explanations on things. They're looking for every single reason to hold up your closing, where on our end, it's not uncommon, you know, two days before a loan to have three different, four different conditions, which come up in underwriting. And we get exceptions on those. So it's it's just a completely different mindset on the hard money side to the conforming loan side that you have with the traditional bank. And that our job is really to get you that money so long as it makes sense. You know, so long as it's a good deal and it, it makes sense for the lender, we're going to go out of our way to, to get it done quickly, efficiently, and to clear out any conditions that are kind of in the way and, and make sure if there are any conditions, we're spotting them up front instead of, uh, you know, catching them down the, down the line from you. There's just some really good points, Andrew. And, you know, definitely there's a lot of reasons that people would prefer to get, you know, hard money or, I mean, I wouldn't even call it hard money anymore because now that all the institutions are in the game, it's basically institutional money and hedge fund money that's backing these, which is getting securitized on on the back end. And that's why the rates have really come down significantly. Most people, when they think of hard money, they're thinking, you know, 9, 10, 12% interest rate loans. And a lot of times when people find out what our interest rates are, they actually get really surprised because, you know, we're usually several percentages lower than that for, you know, fix and flip and bridge loans and, you know, significantly lower than that for the long-term loans. So the long-term loans, you know, they're 30-year loans and they're underwritten very differently than they are uh, for the bridge loans, but also very differently than a bank would look at it because really what we're looking for in order to close is what is the cash flow of the property specifically? And without caring about what the cash flow of the individual or the company is, big advantage is you don't need tax returns, which I think is really one of the biggest reasons that people prefer to come to us and get these loans. And you're still getting pricing that's pretty phenomenal. I mean, the rate sheet starts sub 4%, obviously for lower leverage, but it still creates really an opportunity to get excessive cash flow without having to provide all of your global debt service and your global income to the banks. So it's categorized into several categories. So the main, you know, there's two two different approaches or two different sets of documents that are going to be required. So one of them is going to be the entity documents. And then the other one is going to be the deal specific documents. The entity can be an individual. It doesn't necessarily need to be a company, but most real estate investors really prefer to go the LLC route or a corporation and they hold title in their corporations, sometimes even trusts in order to you know get some kind of tax benefits for liability purposes where they're not you know, personally liable if something were to happen in the home. Uh, and also just to, you know, be harder to find. So if someone skip traces your name, they're not necessarily going to see all of the properties that you own. For the entity documents, really the list is pretty, pretty simple for what's going to be required. And it's going to be pretty universal. So in terms of the documentation for the person or the LLC, it's going to be universal, whether you're getting a rental loan, whether you're getting a fix and flip loan or a new construction loan. So the main thing is really the identification. So who's the person signing? And if there's multiple people on the entity, uh, multiple guarantors, multiple owners, you know, may or may not require all of them to sign, uh, depending on what percentages they own. But typically, we're going to need to at least see the credit and background for each one of the guarantors or each one of the owners on, 
on the on the LLC. So the main thing is getting a copy of your ID. Uh, if the ID is expired, we can usually get a passport as long as that's not expired. Um, there does need to be some form of unexpired identification. We get a voided check for the company uh, just to you know basically verify that the bank account matches the bank statements. We'll typically need you know two months of bank statements. You know for purchases, it's to show that you have enough money to buy it, and you know about anywhere from four to six months of reserves for the loan payments and taxes, insurance, things like that. For entity docs, you know, depending whether you have an LLC or corporation, you know, if you have a trust, it would need the trust documents. For an LLC, you would need the articles of organization and the operating agreement. Corporation, it requires, it's called the articles of incorporation, and typically it's going to have bylaws. What's really important is that both the operating agreement and the bylaws would need to define who owns what percentage of the company, because that's what's going to determine what documents may be needed from the individuals that are involved in that company. Next thing is the EIN letter. A lot of people uh, tend to have a hard time finding this, but really make sure when you create your entity, you want to save that letter as a PDF. So when you get your EIN number online on the IRS website, you just want to make sure that at the end of that process, you save the EIN letter, generates it on the spot, and you can save it as a PDF. And that's going to be a really important document. Pretty much every lender is going to require it uh, in order to confirm that the EIN, EIN number matches the entity number and the name. So if you're out of state, so say you have a corporation in Nevada or Texas and you're buying a property in Florida, you're going to need a foreign entity registration, which is typically done on their website. So you can go on. It's a really quick process. It might take a day or two to process on their site, and then they'll send you a foreign registration. You just have to keep that updated. And it's basically saying that you have the right to do business in that state and buying a property is considered doing business. For fix and flip loans and for new construction, you know, there's also a requirement. We'd like to see the experience. So the experience is really what determines the interest rate and the leverage, um, you know, outside of the credit uh, credit score. But experience has one of the biggest impacts to determine whether you're going to need 10% down, 20% down or more uh, based on how many other homes you've bought, sold, uh, how many rentals you own. You know, there's different approaches to understanding experience, but really we call it, we'll call it a client profile sheet and it's going to show what homes you've flipped, uh, what homes you own, when you bought them, how much you paid for them, how much you sold them for. Now, what's really important to see is the typical definition for experience. Basically, it's like a point grading system is homes that you've bought in the last 36 months that you sold in the last 24 months. So when we're going through and verifying experience, that's primarily the items that we look for. Uh, also, there's you know typically a requirement for a personal financial statement. It's a very, very simple document that takes literally like a minute to fill out and it's just fill in the blanks for, you know, how much do you own in properties? You know, kind of what, how much cash do you have in the bank? How much investments do you have? How much debt do you have? It's all stated. So typically not verified and relatively simple to get through. I think that covers most of the entity docs. Did I miss anything, Andrew? Yeah. So the, the only other thing I, you know, I didn't pick up Max was the, the letter of good standing for an LLC that's older than one year. So if you have an LLC that you've owned for, you know, one year or longer and you're not operating with a new, a new LLC that you created for the transaction, it's something that you need to request from your state, which is required just to make sure that the LLC you're utilizing is in good standing. A lot of investors just create a new LLC for every transaction, which is generally speaking, good operating guidelines for investors. That way they don't have more than one asset in an LLC. So like, let's say for instance, an investor gets in a lawsuit, say there's a slip and fall on a particular property. 
that LLC is going to protect the investor against their other assets because the lawsuit is going to come against the actual ownership of the property, which in a real estate investment is going to be the corporation. So if you have multiple properties that are under one LLC, you risk having a lawsuit come against several properties instead of just one property. So, you know, again, if you've got that uh, LLC that you're utilizing, which is older than one year, we will need a letter of good standing as well as far as just general underwriting guidelines for these loans. Aside from that, uh, there are specific deal level documents, right? And so you have the, the entity documents, which are typically updated about once a year. And, and Max, I know that you had mentioned the, the credit report. So generally speaking, how often do we need to refresh a client's credit report if a client is doing multiple transactions over the course of a year? So for bridge loans, typically it's six months. Uh, sometimes I've seen even we can use one that's older, maybe nine months old for rental loans. It's, it's a strict 90 day cutoff. So basically you have to refresh your credit every 90 days, but for bridge loans, we can reuse the same credit. So there's not like a, you know, a credit pull happening over and over again. Uh, so that, that really takes the strain off of those inquiries. We also have for a lot of, some of our fix and flip products, we could actually do them with a soft credit pull. So it actually doesn't even hit on your credit and it doesn't show as an inquiry. So, you know, that fix and flip program, you know, it's kind of our go-to, I would say. And we try to direct everything in that direction, but it does have some more specific requirements for qualifying, such as higher credit and typically, you know, higher experience. But even for no experience borrowers, we're able to get it done as long as the credit scores are really high and there's enough value in the property on the upside compared to what they're purchasing it for and how much money is going to be used to fix it up. That's kind of the credit requirements. Need access to more capital for your real estate projects? You're in luck. Max is the leader and managing director of Optimus Capital, a national private money firm, which provides capital to real estate investors throughout the country. They offer some of the most competitive terms and rates in the industry. Currently, they fund single family flips up to 90% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab costs. They also fund new construction, rentals. It doesn't matter if you have one rental or an entire portfolio of 100 they get it done. They also fund multifamily, refinances of all types. Optimus Capital has closed hundreds of millions in loans for real estate investors throughout the country. Whether you're a seasoned, experienced investor or just getting started and haven't done a deal, Optimus Capital has got you covered. Head over to OptimusCapitalCorp.com now and fill out the quick form. The professional team at Optimus Capital is standing by ready to assist you now. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So on the deal level, so we have your typical entity docs, which we try to update once a year, right? And I know Max had mentioned on the experience spreadsheet. So we can do transactions for first-time investors. So if you if you have no experience, that doesn't disqualify you so long as you have decent credit and the down payment, right? So with that being said, however, if you've done a number of transactions, say five or more in the last two years as Max have kind of qualified, so you, you bought a property in the last 36 months and then you've exited either via refinance or you just got or you sold it. Once you hit that fifth deal over a two-year period, 
your pricing and terms get better, our ability to execute for you speeds up and we can get around certain things like appraisals that would normally take a longer period of time just because you're considered a pro investor. We can also get you higher leverage than you would normally get. So for a first time real estate investor, we're going to max out typically at 70% of the after repair value. However, for experienced investors, we can get that leverage pushed up to 75, sometimes even 80% on a case on a case by case basis. You've got the entity documents that Max had gone through, and then you have your deal-specific documents. And what your deal-specific documents are is every single transaction, as far as a new transaction, is going to have your, your basic loan application. And this is not a full 1003, so it's just basically a, a skeleton application, basic information on who the borrower is, who the entity is, the EIN number, social security number, date of birth, general details on who who we're actually underwriting and who's guaranteeing the loan. We're going to have the scope of work, which is specifically a worksheet, say, for your, your fix and flips rehab loans, right? And so the scope of work needs to be relatively detailed because that's what we're using for our draw schedule. When you're doing a fix and flip loan, you have oftentimes 100% of the rehab cost, which is being financed. And we're going off of the scope of work worksheet to give you back your draw reimbursements. And so the more detailed and the more descriptive that you can be on that scope of work, that's really critical because we've done thousands of these loans all over the country. And so for instance, say an investor says that the rehabbing of a kitchen is only going to cost $500. When we know the typical rehab is going to cost say $3,000, $4,000 in a particular market, it's going to get caught up in underwriting and it may slow down the speed of getting your loan done because anytime that we have to go back to underwriting and fix something, it potentially adds one to two days to the life of your loan You know, as far as closing it just to kind of go back and have to go back through underwriting. And so what that'll look like is, say, for instance, we have a detailed scope of work and someone just wrote on the scope of work, rehabbing kitchen. So we need more detail than that. We need to know, are you doing uh, granite? Are you doing quartz countertops? Are you going to add a backsplash to the kitchen? Are you doing new cabinets? Are they basic cabinets or are they custom cabinets? So all those different things have different price points to them. And the more descriptive you can be, the better it is because we're going to use that against our established database over the thousands of fix and flip loans that we've done to figure out in underwriting, okay, is that a reasonable scope of work? And we're not going to ask necessarily for receipts when it comes time to actually doing the inspection to reimburse you back that money. We're going to go off of that scope of work worksheet and give you that money basically based on what you originally submitted to us. Next is going to be the contact details for the insurance agent. So we're going to ask for the name, phone number, and email address for your insurance agent. And same thing for whoever's handling the title. So if it's a purchase, it's typically going to be the seller's title company that they're utilizing for the transactions. So we need name, phone number, and email address for whoever's handling the title. That way we can actually coordinate the closing. Or if it's just a refinance, we're going to run through typically whatever title company you use if you have a good one, or we can find one in the marketplace and then just basically make sure that there's no liens or encumbrances outside of the mortgage. Next, we're going to have the appraisal slash valuation. And depending on the type of transaction, so if you're doing, say, a rental, whether it's a long-term rental or a short-term rental, i.e. like an Airbnb or, say, VRBO, we're going to need a full appraisal on those properties. And that full appraisal is going to include the as-is value plus the rental rates in that market. And so it's a specific type of appraisal that we're requesting. And we go through all of that in our initial application with the appraisal as far as you know what's being requested. 
and same kind of situation with a, a ground up construction, right? So if you're doing ground up construction, the appraiser is going to come out and look at that property as far as the value of the land and what the final value of that new construction is going to be once the property is complete. On fix and flip properties, we have a little bit more leeway, if you will, on the appraisal basis. So we can do a desktop appraisal on those fix and flip properties. So we can sometimes get away without having to go the the full appraisal route to figure out what the after repair value of the property is. And what's really important about that is when you're doing an appraisal for a fix and flip, we're we're looking at two different things. So we're going to look at the as is value of a property and then what the value of that property is once you're done with it. And so we're typically going to look at six rental comparisons on that or six six comps on that property compared to just a standard three with a normal appraisal valuation. If you are doing a long-term or a short-term lease, um, specifically on the rental, you know, on a, on a long-term rental, we're going to need to look at lease agreements and it may require proof of deposit or on the rent collection. It might not. And there's a couple different ways that you know we can work with you on that. If it's a rental property that you've just rehabbed, we understand and can sometimes get around that as far as needing to have a lease agreement. And we can just say it's an unleased rental property. And then we're going to go off of the appraisal, which states you know what the market rent is for that specific property. On the new construction loans, Max, you kind of just want to go through as far as what's required at that deal level. Yeah, so new construction loans are going to be a lot more thorough. And typically, we're going to want to see higher experience levels for anyone doing a new construction. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you've built homes, but you know, typically it's going to require some experience doing some ex- ex- extensive rehabs. So for example, you don't want to come in and say, I want a loan for $500,000 to build this home, but the highest you know, renovation that you've done would be, say, $50,000, because you really have to gradually be able to move up to that. There, there are workarounds around that. So you can either partner with someone that has built homes or you could partner with a general contractor. You know, they would have to go in and guarantee the loan as well. But that typically would create like a clear line of sight. So construction loans are going to be based more on the loan to cost as well. So that's something to keep in mind where fix and flip and bridge loans are just based on the value. With new construction loans, there's another layer of complexity to where you know there's a cost basis involved. So the loan that you can get is going to be based on the total cost of the project, where the cost is the purchase price plus the soft costs and design fees and permit fees and the actual hard construction costs. So most construction loans are going to be somewhere between 75 to 85% range of the total costs of the project. What's required on those is really a more extensive scope of work because, you know, a new construction house is going to have a lot more line items than a fix and flip or a bridge loan. So we do have a template that you would fill out and basically plug in the numbers for each line item, provide the details for the materials. You do want to be detailed because that'll really determine the quality of the home that's being built so that you know we can get a, a good assessment of the value for the resale on it because the loan can't exceed a certain loan of value once it's completed. And also another thing is you know we need a set of plans, you know which should be able to get from an architect or draft. If there's no set of plans where you're buying the land, uh, typically you're going to have a little bit of a harder time buying the plans. But if you can get a letter that an architect or an engineer stamps and develops that says, you know, there's no restrictions here. Here's the approximate size of the home that's going to be built. And you know, there's no variances or zoning issues that we're going to encounter. We can typically get as much as 50% of the lot financed. 
the risk of doing a, a loan on a piece of land that you don't have plans completed on, though, is that you don't really know what's going to end up being approved. If you get a scope of work approved for, say, a 1,800 square foot home and you decide to build a 2,500 square foot home, you're not going to be able to change the loan and the construction loan size after the fact. So you're going to end up spending a lot of money out of pocket in that case. You really want to make sure that you know exactly what size you're going to be building because once the loan is solidified, you can't really, you can make some small changes to the scope, but you can't change the loan amount because the loan is done upfront for these loans. So you really want to just make sure you completely understand what you're going to be building there and preferably already have a set of plans that you're basing your scope of work off of. But, you know, that's kind of on the new construction side that does require a little bit of extra documentation uh, just to show what exactly is going to be built and kind of confirmation from someone that has a license that, you know, can sign and stamp a document basically describing what's going to be built there and confirm that there's no issues building it. Well, Max, I think that pretty much covers everything as far as documentation that's required to get one of these loans through underwriting. As you can see, compared to a traditional home, there's a whole lot less requirements and The first time through working with a hard money lender, it's a little bit more of a headache just because we need to verify your transactional history, those initial LLC documents. But once you've done that one time, it really becomes a quick and efficient and repeatable process that you can just fly right through because there's only a few documents that you need on the deal level side of things. Yeah. And on that note, also, a lot of times, you know, when we can pre-approve a client, we actually prefer to get a lot of that documentation up front so that we can go through it, verify it, and basically make sure that everything's going to be clean and simple so that when you do get an actual transaction, you know, essentially you're working off of, you could say, a credit line or a funding line where, you know, you're, you know, you're already good to go. We just need update the application with the correct address, get a scope of work, get the title documents, you know, the preliminary title report, get an appraisal, and it's ready to go to Loan Doc. So that wraps up our show. And I'm glad you uh, joined us today. Thank you for your time. Look forward to many more great educational podcasts and some great topics to cover. Stay tuned for future episodes. Andrew, thank you for joining us. And you guys have a blessed rest of your week. for tuning in to grow your wealth podcast brought to you by optimus capital if you liked this episode be sure and follow and subscribe you can listen to every episode on all major platforms have an interest in being on the show reach out to optimuscapitalcorp.com slash show to access the resources mentioned in each episode until next time remember to use real estate to build generational wealth